This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. So in this session, uh, session's title is How You Look at It. It's How You Look at It. And uh, what we're going to be predominantly dealing with is kind of taking a step back. Um, and Natasha mentioned, or she, she kind of touched on the perspective that we have when approaching God and how, how significant that is uh, in light of our total experience. Mm. Uh, we had a couple of questions come through, too, that are, that are a bit related. So I'll try to address those. Uh, she'll talk a bit more about perspective and then... Um, we'll move on from there. So question number, let me get back to my questions. Uh, one question read thusly. Uh-huh. Uh, this is a parent of several young boys, uh, one of whom is five years old, and um, it's, a full, it's a full life for a mother uh, yes so only getting eight hours of sleep anyways there's no time I pray a lot through all the day I read a chapter of the Bible most mornings I don't feel like I'm uh, getting what I need from my devotional life there's another one up here what if you wake up too late to have devotions and another one how do you ho- handle ho- uh, devotions in a hotel room, <laughs> i.e. at GYC? Um, <laughs> so these three I'll try to address kind of at once. So we've been laying the groundwork and uh, really trying to, we're trying to be specific as we can. We're trying to be as practical as we can. So we're kind of putting our finger on various elements of, you know, this, uh, this might help, this might help. If you have trouble with Paul, this might help. If you don't love the Bible, then media fast might help. Um, but while we're doing that, let's remember, we don't want to lose track of the fact that, in fact, uh, what we're talking about, again, is not a specific set of actions, per se, as it is creating a dynamic in which affection for God can flourish, and affection for the world is slowly, or not so slowly, diminished, strangled mm. out, you know? Um, so having said that, and trying to step back and, and take in our whole experience in the big picture, what happens when you wake up and it's, uh, you know, you, you were supposed to get up at 5 and it's 6.30 and now you legit have to run out the door to work or school and your hour and a half is gone. Well, now I'm under condemnation because I couldn't read my Bible this morning because I overslept my alarm. I would, you know, and we would, of course, might suggest to ourselves, well, maybe we'll go to bed earlier next time so that we don't oversleep our alarm. But more fundamentally than that, even, is, um, no, you're not going to be under condemnation because this morning you missed your 59 and a half minutes of Bible, you know, reading. What do you do when you've awakened an hour too early? I'll ask another question. What are you going to do about breakfast? You know, on a morning like that, you might not eat at all, or you might eat, but you might have to eat in a hurry. You're not going to have a sit-down, satisfying, oh, this is wonderful type of breakfast, but you're going to get something, probably. Um, 
And why are you going to get something? Because in the big picture of your day, if you don't eat anything right now, in three hours, you're going to be at work and getting nothing done because you're so starving. So we, we, you, know, you make the little sacrifice based on this is what I need for my whole experience. You can think of it in the same terms. I don't want to, okay, appetite for the word of God really is even more important, even mm-hmm. more fundamental than our appetite for physical food. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it right there. Appetite for scripture is more important, more fundamental than appetite for physical food. So on a day when you get up an hour too late, just bear those two things in mind. What would I do? On a mar- okay, well, I, I, don't have, I literally don't have an hour and a half. Well, obviously, I can either quit my job and stay home and read for my hour and a half, or I can, no, what, what I would do in a situation like that, again, I'm going to speak for me, is number one, I would put together, put in place a plan to prevent this from happening again. And I'm going to learn from this experience, and I'm going to get what I can get. So while I'm eating my Cheerios, I got my Bible open, and I'm you know, trying to do two things at once. And no, you're not going to have a rich devotional experience, but you will have something, you know, um, in the same way that you won't get a rich eating experience. Well, probably some people just stuff Cheerios in the morning and run off to class anyways. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more to food than Cheerios stuffed down in the morning. Let me just make that statement. Mm-hmm. So as Cheerios stuffed down in the morning are to a real decent sit-down meal, uh, you know, so a, a rushed moment or two in your Bible is you know, to an actual uh, a time when you sit down and really soak in, um, soak in Scripture. So I would say, what are you going to do? Well, you do what you can. Yeah, but also, so we can be creative about our time with God. So if... For some reason, because of the pressures of a specific day, we aren't able to have you know, our classic time in the morning. Another question we often get is, does it have to be in the morning? Can we do it you know, some other time of day? Well, the answer is, yeah, there's no rule you can say that says you must do it in the morning. There is certainly biblical precedent for doing it in the morning. We're talking about how Christ got up in the morning. He went and prayed. We're talking, told you know, that, that Daniel went aside three times a day, morning and night. There's a lot of different times in Psalms, evening and morning and at noon, will I pray and cry aloud. So there's actual biblical precedent for doing it more often than just in the morning. However, we do have biblical precedent for spending time with God in the morning. But I would say, let's be, be creative. I know a physician who lives in Great Britain. He is a a resident doctor on Good Morning Britain. So he's, he, has, he has a very demanding job, very demanding practice, plus he's, he's recognized on the street wherever he goes, plus he works for several other governments around the world doing consulting. So he's an extremely, extremely busy man who is constantly on demand. The way he handles his devotions, he was talking to us about it, he says when he wakes up, he reads through, on, and I'm not going to be able to tell you precisely exactly what he does, but it's something like when he wakes up, he reads through a psalm. And then... He goes into his day. Around 10.30, he has his alarm set. He stops at work, goes aside into his office, closes his door, and he reads through, like, a chapter in the Gospels. And then he goes back into his day. And around, like, 2 o'clock, he has his alarm set again. He stops, and he'll read a chapter in the Proverbs. And around 5 o'clock, he'll stop, and he'll read. And so you see, this man, he's extremely busy, but he takes the time, and he prioritizes, and he has his alarm set. So he protects that time. No, he doesn't spend, you know, an hour and a half in the morning before he goes. But he does something that consistently reminds him of his dependence on God and consistently turns his mind back to God throughout the day. Now, is that perfect for your schedule or for my schedule? No, but we can be creative. In the the questions that we read, 
personally, I think that the, the mother is in the most difficult situation because she has children who are dependent on her and who can interrupt her virtually at any time of day. So that is one of the most difficult situations probably, and my wonderful wise mother is sitting here on the third row, so if one of you wants to, one of your mothers wants to snatch her after this meeting, yeah, feel free to do so. Love you, mom. Anyway, <laughs> but, but I'm just saying, like, we can be creative about if I wake up too late today, maybe if I am typically looking at social media throughout the day, maybe I can say, you know what, today, instead of taking those loose moments to do social media, I'm going to take those loose moments to just get aside for a moment and pray and read a few verses just to redirect my mind to heaven. It's probably not a bad idea to do every day, even if you did get your full devotions that morning. But just be creative about connecting. Again, it's not, it's not a rule. It's a connection with a person, uh -huh. someone who we want a relationship with and love yeah. uh, flowing and, back and forth. And therefore, um, again, like if I missed it this morning, yeah, I, I missed, I mean, this morning, I did not have a significant amount of talk time with my wife either. Number one, we're at GYC. Number two, I was getting ready for this. Number three, we have other people staying in our room for crying out loud. But that doesn't mean I don't love my wife anymore or that we're having trouble today, marital trouble, because we didn't get it. You know. So on a morning that I miss uh, you know, my time of communion with God, that doesn't suddenly mean that the status has changed and now, oh, phew, well, all the bets are off. I mean, I didn't even have devotions this morning, so I don't even know if God... No, no God is the same as he always was. Mm. But the trend of my life, if every morning I'm missing it, well, that's going to cost me in my marriage or with God. Does that make sense? So, again, I, I would agree that the mother is the one in the situation that is the most difficult here, and yet the grace of God is obviously stronger than even that situation. I would just say yeah. that at a time of stress like that or a time of, uh, you know, particular pressure where even, even if you say, I mean, it's finals week, for example, you just, you have more distractions now. And even if you do religiously, which I would suggest you do, guard your time with the Bible in the morning, time with prayer at you know, noon or whatever you do, uh, even then probably you're not going to be able to slow down enough to really gain what you could gain at another time in the same amount of time. Um, this is why, this is at a, in that kind of scenario, the relationship that you have with God is supposed to carry you through. Does that make sense? So it's not, oh, this event was missed. No, this is why I had to, if I can't have them today, it's why I had devotions yesterday. If my prayer time today is not super meaningful because I'm going straight from here to chemistry final and I'm just freaking out about chemistry final, then that's why I prayed yesterday and it's why I'm praying tomorrow. It's why I'm praying today too, but it just doesn't feel really good today. So again, it's the whole trend we're talking about. What we're trying to do is slowly, um, again, I say slowly, I'm not brave enough. What we're trying to do is, you know the old Indian proverb, some Cherokee proverb where there's two wolves living inside this guy and one is good and the other one is, you know, one is white and one is black. One is good and one, you know, is evil. And they ask the old wise sage Indian chief or whoever it was, well, which one is stronger? He's like, the one I feed. So what's our, what's our uh, you know, what's our objective here? Feed. Feed the right one. Keep creating, put up the fences, put up the, you know, the, the, the boundaries, create an environment where love to God can flourish. You guys, love awakens love, and God is, and always, God is always and only love. Amen. So literally, if I meet God, and, I am, and I'm my eyes open, 
I will fall in love with him, period, end of discussion. Mm. It's impossible not to. Amen. Our problem is just filters and, and things. We've built up our cities around us, and we can't even get out to see the sun. Once again, that's the effort that we're investing here is in, is in creating a, a, you know, a place, a safe place where God can be to us what he longs to be. All right, so shall, shall we move on? And yeah. Then, and then we'll come back to questions yeah. again at the end. All right, so when we're talking about Bible study, as we're, as we're continuing on with just practical things we can do, one thing that is going to make the Bible so precious is just being familiar with it. Biblical familiarity, knowing where you can find what. Having a passage come to mind and knowing where you can find it and what the context is and what it's sharing, what it's saying. These things become so precious. I'm going to do an illustration. We were talking about topical studies and studies and especially doctrine when we're trying to ground ourselves in doctrine. I'm going to do an illustration that talks about just, I hope we can just drive home the importance of very deep and comprehensive Bible study. So I need six volunteers. Hands up, please. All right. All right. All right. All right. And okay. Come on. All, all, I need all of you up here. And who I think I just said five. Somebody else just come up. Okay. All right. So... When we are studying the Word of God, it is so easy for us to say, okay, you know, I want to study, and what is, you know, what am I looking at, and let me just, oh, I found this verse, and this must mean that, and I get all excited about it. How do we make sure that we are biblically grounded and familiar with the entirety of the Word of God? All right, so wonderful. Six volunteers, thank you so much. Now, I'm, for the sake of this illustration, these wonderful people who have just come up are going to be fence posts, Okay. So, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> you're all going to be fence posts. Okay, so let's say I want to build a fence and I have six fence posts at my disposal. All right, so I'm going to come around and I'm going to say, okay, all right, can I just have you step, maybe the three of you stand here till I, till I place the fence post and then I'll have the three of you, well, I don't want you to get in front of the screen, just maybe shift a little bit this way so I can build my fence kind of in this region. All right. So let me start with you. So I'm going to put my one, one fence post right here. So you could come right over here. Thank you very much. Now, which direction is my fence going? Nobody knows which direction my fence is going? Okay. All right. Okay. First, first fence post place. All right. Second fence post. Let me, just, let me just move you slightly and put here right here. All right. Which direction is my fence going? All right, this, this, this general direction. All right, so when I'm done with my fence, which direction is it going to be going? Anybody know? Okay, some are saying maybe in that direction. Okay, okay. Is it maybe a little bit early to call which direction the fence is going to be going at the end? Okay, so third fence post. If I could just have you come and stand maybe right, right over here. Awesome, thank you. Okay, so now which direction am I fence going? All right, so, so with my remaining three fence posts, what is the best thing for me to do with my remaining three fence posts? Okay, so, so keep sending them that, that away. Okay, but what if I bring my next fence post, because I have you, and what if I bring my next fence post and I put it right here? Now which direction is my fence going? Okay, there's a corner. So it's kind of in the shape of an L right now. So, you know, I could, I have a, a little bit of an area here, but, you know, it, okay, so if I bring my next fence post, I can maybe get you to come and be right here. And maybe I can get you to come and be right here. And now what do I have? If I have, whoa, if I have the whole fence post 
if I have the fencing in between all this. Okay, so I have a rectangle, so I have a bit of a pen, so I can put everything in here that I need to have contained. It's not going to be running around. It's not going to be, you know, getting away. All right, thank you very much. Thank you so much for, help, for your help. Now, what happens if when I put my first fence post, you're like, oh, I know where that's going. It's going all the way that direction. All of you said that when I placed my first fence post, it was too early to call which direction that fence was going. And even when the next fence post was placed, you said, well, it's heading this direction, but it's still too early to call the final conclusion of the direction of the fence. Even when I placed this one, it was like, well, there is a trend that says it's heading that direction, but that's not necessarily the final picture because we still had three fence posts left, right? And we saw that when it was over, it was rectangular like a pen that can contain. The Word of God is exactly, it works exactly in that same manner. So if we have one verse that says, we go into the Bible and where it says, oh, their worm dieth not, their fire is not quenched. Surely that means that you will burn forever and ever and ever if you are not saved, your worm will never die, your fire will never be quenched through eternity. And do you know what that is doing? That is taking one fence post and saying, this is going to continue in that direction indefinitely. Then we get another verse and we're like, sure enough, it's going that way. And then we get another and we put it up, oh, sure enough. And then we make ourselves a doctrine when there's still other fence posts out there in the word of God. We were just sharing this, um, my husband and I, we were just sharing this exa same example with a Bible study contact that we have. And when we got done, they're very professional, very, very intelligent people. And when we got done sharing it, um, the man of the house, he was silent for a little bit, and then he was like, you know, that sounds like it's going to entail very intense Bible study. <laughs> to know all the fence posts. So I'm not just putting down three and saying, this is the way it's going. No, it actually makes a boundary that keeps me safe inside. But that does require intensive Bible study. That's why we can't just pick this verse and this verse and this verse and say, yep, I know where this is going, and that's all there is, and I'm, and I'm going to lose my teachability because I've drawn, already drawn a conclusion based on this verse and this verse and this verse. The reason why it requires intensive Bible study, especially for doctrinal understanding, but also for practical Christianity, is because we need to know where all the fence posts are and what we're being kept safe by. So when it comes to Bible study, it is incredibly important to have a proper perspective to look at the Bible and say, okay, when I'm approaching this topic, especially, especially doctrine, when I'm approaching this topic, I'm going to find all the fence posts and then draw a conclusion. Now, the flip side to that is when we do find all the fence posts, and then we're like, oh, I know what this is. It's a pen to keep me safe. And then we fail to have the spirit of God about the fence. It's like, what are you guys thinking that it's going straight? It's a pen, can't you see? And we adopt this spirit that is abrasive towards others because they don't see the entire fence. And they're thinking, oh, it must be going off straight. Let me give you a practical example. When I was a bit younger, some years back, I encountered a number of people that held this kind of subset of beliefs. And I was very, because of the circumstances and how I was introduced to this, and I was very burned by it. And I was like, 
I've studied this out in my Bible. I've looked at all those fence posts, and I know that this fence is not straight. It curves around. It makes a pen. I know that's incorrect. So I had studied it out, but because of the circumstances and the individuals that were involved, I became very burned by it. I was like, just cannot handle. That is error. It is false. I cannot take it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know about it. You shouldn't believe it. Okay. Now, I didn't really fully realize that that had developed within me. So fast forward several years, and I bumped into other people that held those, that same subset of beliefs, which I had carefully studied and come to realize, hey, this is not, this is not correct. And because of the earlier experience I had, I tell you, my heart rose up in utter rebellion against this thinking and the fact that this thinking was in these people now that I'm interacting with. And I was just feeling so unhappy and negative inside because these people were holding this doctrine that I can't stand. Now, thankfully, I'm married to a very wonderful, balanced man who's whose gift is mercy. And so he was, you know, he was, he was listening to me and I was talking to him. I'm like, this is why it's wrong and this is why it's wrong and I, it's just not biblical and I just can't handle this. And, and thankfully, his spirit really called to my heart and I was like, okay, maybe it's not that the fence is incorrect. The fence is correct because we have all the posts, but maybe my spirit and my heart needs to be changed about this. And so I spent actually several months working through my feelings that were rising up, rising up against the false doctrine, but also against the people that held the false doctrine because they were wrong. You see what I'm saying? So one thing is understanding, okay, doctrinal integrity, biblical integrity, not concluding that faith is this or faith is that just because I found a verse that sounds like that and I like that, but understanding what is faith in the entirety of the biblical context. Not just thinking, oh, this is this doctrine and that is that doctrine because I found a few texts, but understanding what is this doctrine in, in context of the entire biblical message and, and being familiar enough with, our word, with the word of God, with our Bibles, to be able to detect error when error arises. Because as we know from the word of God and from Matthew, 20, Matthew 24, there are going to be such winds of doctrine such strong but subtle winds of doctrine that if it were possible, by implication, by the grace of God, it won't be possible to deceive them. But if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. So we need to be so familiar with our Bibles that every passage of this book is just like our best friend. We know what it says. We know what it articulates so that by the grace of God, we can detect when something is is error. But on the flip side of that, also have the spirit of Jesus that says, okay, this individual maybe does not see all the fence posts. And maybe they're here emphatically declaring to me that this fence is going straight indefinitely. And I see that that is not the case. However, I still maintain the heart and the spirit of Jesus toward the person, even if I do go ahead and reject the idea that the fence continues straight indefinitely, if you're picking up on the, on the analogy. All right, so, honey, I want to invite my hubby up. Talking about biblical familiarity, shall I be giving him my mic or? I can give him, I can give him my mic. Okay. Talking about biblical familiarity, we asked Paul here to just articulate 
Um, another concept, as we're wrapping up the more practical section of this, another concept of how you can study the Bible and become highly familiar with it. Are we going to just use a different one? How we can become highly familiar with the Word of God so that as we're going through, because, you know, this is a big book. One of the best ways, incidentally, to become extremely familiar with the Bible is to give Bible studies. Oftentimes, we think people are very intimidated of giving Bible studies until we are deeply familiar with the Bible. And it is true that we need to be familiar with the Bible before, as we're you know, teaching and sharing so that we're not teaching error and saying, hey, there's three fence posts here. This must mean it goes there. We do need to be familiar with the Bible. However, one of the best ways to become deeply familiar with the Bible, because the Bible is difficult to learn, is slow to learn, is a lot of content, slow to learn, and quick to, we're, we're quick to forget. So one of the best ways to get to the point where we know this Bible, where we know the truth in this Bible, is by teaching it and by sharing it with others. And then when we hear from somebody, oh, and they have this question, we don't have to be experts the very first time. We can tell them, you know what, I'll go home and study that, and then we'll talk about it next time. There's always a good, we don't have to try to pretend we know something when we don't. However, one of the best ways to, to learn and, and understand the Bible very clearly is to go out and share it with others. Now, sweetie pie. Share with us um, another way that we can become quickly familiar with the Bible. Okay. Well, first of all, I just have to tell you all, I have a very wonderful wife. Oh, <laughs> I love her a lot. And um, it's been a blessing, hasn't it, Ben? Just to sit and think about Bible study and opening God's Word and gaining richness from it. So, uh, like Natasha just said, I'm going to talk just very briefly with you all about biblical dexterity. Do you know what the word dexterity means? To be able to do something well with your fingers. So biblical dexterity, in my mind, I get this, this imagination of being able to, under, to know, like Natasha's just been talking about, where to find, where to go in the Bible to find different types of things. It's just like a, a knowledge where uh, you can even still think about it with your fingers. You know exactly where to flip the pages to, right? And um, have you ever been in a, have you ever known someone that just seems to know their Bible so well that Someone comes up with a question, and they're like, well, here, just go to this chapter and this verse, and, you know, they've got an answer. That's a little bit how we feel um, working with Pastor Mark, because literally we'll go and we'll sit in a Bible study with him, and he'll begin asking someone a question, and they'll talk about how they are feeling this guilt in their life, and he'll say, well, turn to such and such book and verse, and then he'll take them through this Bible study just purely out of his mind, and uh, Natasha mm. and I are sitting there and thinking, man, I wish that I knew my Bible that well. Mm -hmm. And like Natasha just mentioned, um, Pastor Mark says one of the best keys is to give Bible studies, um, and you will learn your Bible. But there's another key that he has um, brought out to us as well, and that is to take the, the Bible and the books and chapters of the Bible and to outline them for yourself. So when you do this, you're, and we'll do it really briefly together, um, you basically take a book and, oh, and then you break it down into the chapters and then you'll like read a chapter and come up with, a, like, come up with a, a phrase theme of what that chapter is about. And then you might even break that chapter down into several bullet points of what that chapter is about. You know, in the past, I really... Uh, well, I should say, I still love Bible memorization, but in, in the past, I was a little bit more into memorizing scripture, right? And so I would memorize uh, chapters, um, even memorize uh, books to a certain extent. And 
Uh, that is wonderful, but something with the with with outlining the Bible has stuck out to me even more, and that is, you know, you know, it's one thing to be able to, well, ultimately, it'd be nice to have the whole Bible memorized, right, word for word, but that can seem a little bit far away. But what if you knew what was the key topic of every chapter in the New Testament? Would that be helpful to you? Do you know how much easier it would be to memorize the key topic of every chapter in the New Testament than to memorize the whole New Testament? Um, This came uh, full force in front of us when, in July, Natasha and I were in a class with Pastor Mark, and he said, hey, guess what? I've got good news for you all. There's only going to be two questions on the final test for this class, and all of the class clapped their hands because everyone thought two questions was a great idea. And then he said, well, okay. Hey, first, let me tell you what the questions are. Number one, the, the first question is, we're studying the book of Acts, and he said, the first question on the final test is going to be, I want you to list everything in, in, give me a summary of every chapter in the book of Acts from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 28. And the second question is, tell me what are the key principles that are in the book of Acts that can be applied into our lives. And we're all sitting there like, okay, so two questions, but... We're going to have to know Acts forwards and backwards. You know, we went home and memorized the key topics of of each chapter in the book of Acts. And by the end of that class, I was like, you know, there is huge value in this. All of a sudden, now I know, okay, Paul went to Corinth. That's in Acts chapter 16. He, while he was there, he uh, started building tents with Aquila and Priscilla. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, was converted. Um, and then Paul had a dream to stay even longer. And the Jews got upset at him, but um, Gallio ended up defending Paul in front of the Jews. Eventually, Paul left. He went on a trip and was um, um, strengthening the churches. And at the end, it talks about Apollos' ministry. Okay, and so... When you have that kind of dexterity to know exactly where to go in the Bible, it makes a huge difference. Uh, and it actually makes the Bible feel more like a personal um, piece of literature. It's something that I know. Something that I know. Okay, so let's talk about it in a, in a very practical application. Let's go to, and that wasn't Acts chapter 16. That was Acts chapter, <laughs> that was Acts chapter um, I I have them memorized in fives, so I know where Acts chapter 15 is. That was 16, 17, 18. Am I right? Yeah. 18, okay. (laughs) So we got to get that straight there. All right. So let's go quickly together. Do you all all have your Bibles? Let's go to uh, Ephesians. And we'll take this with Ephesians chapter 1 and... Do a quick little example of what is it like to take a, a chapter. Now, with the Gospels and with Acts, it may be a little bit easier because they're stories. Um, but with the Epistles, sometimes it takes a little bit more thought to come up with what is the key thought that is going on in this chapter, all right? So we'll take um, Ephesians chapter 1 and go through it as an example of how would you do this. So the first thing that I do when I'm coming to a chapter like this is I will literally read the chapter over and over again. And so I'll just sit there and I'll read it. Ephesians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus. Go through the whole chapter, read it all the way to the end, 
Come back to the beginning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And in I'm basically just bathing my mind with what is going on in this chapter. And the second question that I ask myself is, what are the main sections of this chapter? All right? What are the main sections of this chapter? For the sake of time, we're not going to go ahead and read the whole thing together. Um, and, you know... As, you, as you're doing it, you may come up with a little bit different of a section than I do, and that's perfectly okay, but it's what are the sections that stand out to you? Sometimes you might have a Bible that already splits it into sections, and you kind of, you know, that can be helpful, or you have a Bible that is split up into paragraphs, or sometimes it's nice to get a Bible that doesn't have any sections or paragraphs, and just try and, try and connect with it in that way, and find those sections yourself. So... What are the main sections? Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, there are three main sections. The first section is the first two verses, and it's the greeting of Paul. He's a, um, he says he's apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are, are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Does that include you? So is the book of Ephesians for you? Amen. Um, grace be to you in peace from God uh, our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The second section in Ephesians goes from verses 3, or at least this is how I, I split it up, goes from verse 3 through verse 14, where Paul says, um, Blessed be the God, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Colon, and then he goes on to expound on those spiritual blessings. And he goes on to talk about how you are, we are chosen by God. Uh, not only that, but because God has chosen us, he has accepted us, he has forgiven us, and he has adopted us as a son. And not just adopted us as a son, but he, because we are sons, we receive an inheritance of heavenly things. And it is the seal of the Holy Spirit that seals that inheritance in our lives. So he's talking about all of the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. That's through verse 14. And then 15 to the end of the chapter, um, Paul talks, Paul has a prayer. He gives a prayer. He says, you know, not only are you, um, do we receive all of these spiritual blessings in Christ, but because of that, I want you to know him. I want you to know Jesus. And he brings out three specific things. He says, I want you to know the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance that we just talked about? I want you to know that. And I want you to know the exceeding greatness of his power that is towards us. And then he expounds on that power and he says, not, not just the power that the exceeding greatness of his power towards us that is so powerful that it raised Christ up out of the dead, made him alive, not just made him alive, but raised him up into the heavenly places, but not just raised him up into the heavenly places, but this is a heavenly, heavenly place that is far above every principality and power and things on this earth and things in the universe. He is the highest of all highest. That is your inheritance. So Paul says, Listen, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to the faithful. All of the spiritual blessings that you have are in Christ Jesus. He has accepted you. You are forgiven. He has adopted you as the son. You have an inheritance. And because of that, I want you to know him. I want you to know him as your personal savior, for you to know the hope of his calling, um, 
the glory of the riches of your inheritance and the exceeding greatness of his power. So basically, I, I, I took Ephesians chapter 1, put it into three sections, and then when you get those three sections, you say, what is the main point in each of those sections? All right? What is the main point in each of those sections? So I'll tell you, um, this, is, this is my three sections here. Number, uh, verses 1 through 1 and 2 is Paul's greeting to the faithful. Paul's greeting to the faithful. So you want to just see if you can paraphrase it down into one phrase, all right? Paul's greeting to the faithful. Verses 3 to 14 is spiritual blessings in Christ. He says all spiritual blessings come in Christ. And then verses 15 through 23 is Paul's prayer that you might know him. And then you can go in and you can put sub, you know, bullets under that as well. Or you can just memorize those three things and say, and immediately already you have a better grasp of Ephesians chapter 1. You go do that with chapter 2 and chapter 3, and before you know it, you'll have an overview of the chapter. Now, I like to do, I like to have, a, it's nice to have a phrase for the whole chapter. And I personally find it easier to get that phrase after I go through the chapter and have kind of outlined it a little bit more. So I came back and said, you know what? To me, the greatest um, emphasis of Ephesians chapter 1 is that in Christ are all spiritual blessings. In Christ are all spiritual blessings. Um, I'm going to give you just a couple little pointers so you can write these in your notes that kind of help with coming up with, you know, what is the main point? What is, how, how do you outline it and stuff like that? The first one is look for patterns in your reading. This is a pattern that I found in Ephesians chapter 1 is over and over the phrase in Christ comes up. In him, in Christ, um, in Christ, uh, raised up to heavenly places, in Christ. Um, over and over this phrase comes up in Ephesians chapter 1, and immediately I was like, okay, Paul is trying to get us to understand what is in Christ. Um, another very clear example of, of that is in Romans chapter 6. Uh, Paul talks about how grace is much more. Grace is much more. Over and over he'll say, you, uh, where sin abounded, grace much more abounds, right? Um, even though by one... Um, all were made dead in trespasses, trespasses and sins. Much more by one Jesus Christ, all are made alive. Um, there's that phrase that comes up over and over. So look for patterns. You're not, you won't always find it. Not, you know, every chapter doesn't always have a pattern of something that is you know, repeated over and over and over. But oftentimes there is. So look for patterns. Second thing is look for the key sentence. Where is a key sentence in this section? So if, you're, if you've kind of split it into a section and you're looking through that section to say, is there a key sentence that kind of drives the hammer to the nail in this section? For example, in the second section here in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then there's a colon, and Paul goes on to expound on that one sentence. And so that's kind of like an anchor point. It's a key saying there's all of these spiritual blessings, and now here's what they are. So look for the key sentence in your section. And then, like we, like Natasha and um, my brother Sean, have been talking about uh, with our personal devotional lives, don't just have this be something that 
is just a matter of trying to get to know the Bible for knowledge's sake. Hmm. We can, you, can, you can know the Bible backwards and forwards. The Pharisees had the Old Testament memorized word for word. I mean, that's more than I'll probably ever have in my lifetime. But did it do them very much good? Don't just do it just for knowledge's sake. The last one here is ask yourself, how would I put it in my own words? How would I put it in my own words? And personalize it to yourself. What is it speaking to me personally? And then I would go back once again to the point of read it over and over again. And the more you read it, the more will be drawn out, out of it. And um, as you do it, you will be amazed at how much more personal the Bible comes to you hmm. as you gain that dexterity in the Word of God. You begin to feel like you actually know this book. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It is such a blessing. Such a blessing. This has been one of the biggest gifts since we moved to Virginia and have been doing this every day, working with people every day. And it's like, oh, I don't know the right answer for this. But at the same time, just saying, you know what? We'll talk about it next week and learning the answer to that. And you can build. And the more you understand and know the Word of God, the more precious it becomes to you. The more it becomes a friend and not a stranger where it's like, oh, what do I read today? No, I know where to go to read because of what I'm struggling with right now. I know where to find it. I know where to find that encouragement. I know where to find that challenge that I need today because I'm familiar with this book. Amen. All right, so with the, the uh, last couple of minutes we have together tonight, I'll go through a couple of more of the questions that have come in. Uh, this one's a quick one. Will you be providing copies of your slides or handouts on everything you've discussed later? We're happy to do that. So we'll send you the slides, the PowerPoint, whatever our, um, our notes. Just drop us an email to remind us that you are one of the people who wanted that. Email's not up there, but it's just Pathway of Promise, the name of the, our ministry. Pathwayofpromise at gmail.com. So drop us an email, and... Um, we will be happy to send you slides slash collate a handout of sorts. Um, let's see. Um, you've changed my perspective on devotions. How can we translate this to family or church devotion within the time limitations? And then there's another question. Let's see. What, if any, is the difference between devotional Bible study, uh, devotional Bible reading, and Bible study? So we'll kind of address those at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. there, is a, there is a definite difference between, I'll just say, between devotional Bible reading and Bible study. So Bible study, as in uh, the, the method we use to really come up with doctrine, is extremely, it's very robust and it's very factual. So uh, part... B of the topical study we were talking about this morning, when you really are going through proof texts, um, so to speak, I, I don't really like that term, but um, that would be the, the mode used in Bible study, also in kind of sharing it. Now then, I found it very effective to, uh, especially with visual people, to if you're actually giving someone a Bible study on a certain topic, then again, that same advantage that you can win from having, you know, from, from studying stories, you can pass that on when you're sharing a story. I mean, people will come to the conclusion before you get there, which is the whole point. Mm-hmm. Now you're, te- now you're helping, helping them study the Bible, you're coaching them along, but you don't have to tell them, okay, and now the Bible says this, so 
See, you get it, you know. Um, if it's a story, they get it. They'll get it before mm-hmm. you do. So I would say they are different. Um, they have slightly different purposes. When, we're, when we are trying to help someone who, for example, has never been introduced to the gospel, and it's a completely foreign concept, or mm-hmm. they've, they've lived all their lives thinking that there is such a place as eternally burning hell, and it's burning right now, and poor grandma's been down there for, you know, however long. Um, to help them out of that, uh, you'll, you'll probably use more just a, a, a list of scriptures that build on each other uh, rather than a, you know, a sweet story or two. Uh, so both, there's, a, there's a purpose for both, and they are different. They should be different. They, they are different. However, I would encourage you that the more you share with others, both you know, what we think of as classically you know, in, the, in the doctrine category, like you know, what happens when you die or how long does hell burn or these sort of subjects, what day do you worship on? We, technic- tip- we tend to think of those as more doctrinal topics, but let me tell you, as I have been spending a lot of time working with people and, and teaching the Word of God, I have learned that what we typically think of as doctrine and what we think of as you know, practical life do not lie as far apart as we th- sometimes think mm-hmm. they do. Let me give you one of the most practical examples in my life currently, the judgment. I would have always thought of that, oh, that's, you know, that's, you know, that's doctrine. So, you know, for my morning devotions, I'm not going to study the judgment. I already understand how that works. And so, you know, I can explain it correctly of how that, you know, how that runs, but I don't need to study that. The more as I have gone and been sharing with other people, teaching them of the love of God, and then as we progress through the studies and teaching them about prophecy, teaching them about the second coming of Christ, teaching them about the judgment, the more it has changed my perspective to now when I'm interacting with people, I am not as glib as I used to be. Glib in the sense of, I used to interact with a person and not feel the need in my heart to talk to them about their soul and just be like, oh, you know, well, you know, somehow God will communicate with them. They probably didn't want to hear it anyway. Now I have so much more of a burden for other people's hearts, for other people's souls to know, do they know Christ? Do they have a saving relationship with him? I feel that because I understand, I feel and, and, and understand the judgment, not from a fear perspective, because I know that we have a friend in court. We have someone who is for us, not against us, for us. But at the same time, I understand that reality much more clearly in my own mind, and it has changed my life in a practical way for the better. So, yes, is there, there is some of a difference. You know, we don't need to spend all of our time you know, studying prophecy and the mark of the beast and how does this work when, you know, our our faith walk with you know, our, our walk of God and our faith is struggling. We need to be studying about faith. But at the same time, it needs to be both because they, it is all a big picture of who Christ is and we want the entire Jesus. We don't want just you know, whatever pieces we, we feel like mm-hmm. having. And again, uh, even if you think about, going back to the question, if you think about the contrast between the purpose of Sabbath school and church, they're, they're two, I mean, they come back to back, um, but the purposes are fundamentally different, which is why we have both of them. So mm-hmm. again, church will never be a substitute, and it'll never quite, never really follow the format of uh, you know your your devotional hour in the morning. However, the two definitely are related, and mm-hmm. a a vibrant devotional experience in the morning when you might be studying among other things, for example, your Sabbath school lesson, will translate into mm-hmm. a much more vibrant should translate into a much more vibrant discussion when you're you know, actually at Sabbath school discussing with everyone else who hopefully also vibrantly studied their lessons. Hmm. Uh, next question, how do you give a proper devotional to a non-Seventh-day Adventist? There is, a, there is a beautiful, I think I'm understanding this question, the beautiful reality about the, the Word of God, the stories in the Word of God, 
and um, the, the great themes and narratives. Anything, you know, again, anytime we've stepped away from just one or two fence posts is that you really don't have to worry about, oh, shall I tell this story or shall I not tell this story? The, uh, you know, you, you don't change your tactics. It's for a, you know, a believer or a non-believer or a believer mm-hmm. that's not an Adventist. Um, where you would have to be much more sensitive is, again, when we were talking about the, uh, if you're using, for example, a highly, highly factual doctrinal approach to such, such a thing as a mark of the beast, then again, you wouldn't do that one first. Um, and yet, if you were to, and yet, you could deal with, quotes, the mark of the beast first if you were dealing with it from a broad enough perspective. I don't know if that makes sense. Usually, if we're having our classic, you know, 13-night uh, evangelistic series or something, there's a night focused on the mark of the beast, and it doesn't come first in, in many places because you can just, mm-hmm. you can't possibly do justice in an hour, do justice to the subject in a way that will leave everyone completely satisfied and not, you know, offended or freaking out or, or whatever. And so we lay some groundwork first. Does that make sense? Um, the groundwork is just really, again, it's all one gospel. Uh, and as long as you're not literally sitting them down, okay, now let me give you a devotional on these three proof texts of the Mark of the Beast. Again, any of the story is fair game. You're not going to change your tactics much that, where that we much want to Where we want to root and ground ourselves and others is in Christ Jesus. So not just an intellectual assent to the truth, but in a heart relationship with him. So if I am going to be interacting with someone that I don't, if I'm not sure that they know Christ or, you know, I don't know where they are on certain subjects, the first thing that I want to pay attention to is do they understand how to rightly divide the word of God, how to look for all the fence posts and not just one. That topic and then who is your savior? Do you understand how and, and do you have a relationship with him? Do you know how he saves you? Do you know how he loves you? Those two topics, if, if someone has a, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and they understand how to properly understand the Bible, their feet are going to be on the path to understand all truth because all the truth is right in here as long as we're looking for, again, all the fence posts and not just one or two, and then concluding that the fence goes in definitely that direction. Yes. So next question. Uh, someone asked, what were the three questions to ask while reading? And the answer to that, number one, what is happening here uh, in relation to a story? Number one, story. what's happening here? How would I feel if I were in the situation? And three, how does this apply to my life? Um, how did your parents teach you to have devotions? What did that look like at younger ages, three to six? Is there a difference between Bible study and devotional type of study? Okay, we answered that one already. So, um, again, how did your parents uh, teach you to have devotions? Uh, devotions are going to look very different. As we mentioned moments ago, we were talking about the, the mother with the bunch of kids, and devotions for her are going to look very different than what she might consider to be ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to look different for every age and stage. Uh, for a child, again, what's our, what's our overall objective for a child, what would, the, what would the objective of a sacred time set apart? The objective is to get this child, uh, is, to, is to carve out a space and time in the life of this child that can enable Christ to access their hearts in such a way this little child falls in love with Jesus. Hmm. So obviously that's not going to be sit down. Okay, stop squirming. It's only 45 minutes. You know, um, 
And it, it, it might not even obviously be 10 minutes, uh, literally. Mm-hmm. My parents, in, in particular, they did, um, when we were very young, it was, uh, we listened to scripture songs, and there was a whole, kind of a, a little string of things that we would do in order to not be doing one thing for, you know, more than five minutes. And we just loved it. We loved the scripture songs. As we grew up, uh, and we're not tiniest little children anymore, then they invested some of their uh, own devotional time in, in helping to lead and guide us in a, you know, maturing devotional process, pursuit ourselves. So, like, I remember a time when um, Shantae, my older sister, and I would, um, you know, we would have our little separate worship, and then uh, dad would you know, come in and work with Shantae and I, and mom would work with Joshua and Natasha, or vice versa, and we would do something to, you know, we would read either, we started reading through the Gospels together, and he would kind of help us to read at our pace, and then, then slow us down and kind of ask us these three questions, help us to try to enter into the story itself and draw out some practical application about not slapping your brother or your sister or <laughs> screaming or, you know being foolish or being foolish or being foolish or any other number of things. Um, So again, objective is the same. You know your child or you know the child that you're trying to work with. If you keep the objective in mind, what we're trying to do is make the Bible exciting, make make, uh, scripture inviting, and make Jesus inviting as a person. Amen. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would would just to... maybe con- conclude that. So like when we were three, maybe I was just listening to scripture songs or the Thy Word Creations. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that where there's scripture songs and it goes through beautiful devotions for a child. And maybe I'm coloring as I'm listening to, you know, coloring a little, a little Bible story as a, you know, picture. As a three-year-old, maybe by the time I'm six, I'm reading, you know, short portions of the scripture and maybe a section or two out of child guidance or something like that. I, that's what I did when I was six. But short again, however, the flip side to this coin is if that three-year-old and that six-year-old is now also overstimulated with, you know, playing, you know, little games on the iPad or watching this or watching that, they will not have the appetite to listen to scripture songs and be coloring. So then you have to go back to, you know, the more quiet and simple the life of the child, the more free from artificial, you know, excitement and stimulation, then the more conducive it is to spiritual growth. So... I would look at that, too, because if the child is really struggling to find, it, is, is the content age-appropriate? Is it simple enough for them to understand and for them to enjoy? Um, and then are they also so full of white rice, as Sean was talking about early, that they can't enjoy, enjoy the dinner? Amen. All right, one last one. Uh, we kind of have dealt with this, but I'll just make one more comment on it. Again, uh, would you recommend these devotional methods for techniques for family worship, um, or could it be used with you know, a larger group, et cetera? Absolutely, positively, especially, um, again, there's a whole spectrum. There's your personal worship, there's family worship, Sabbath school class, there's church. And the activities and the tone are different among those uh, various things. However, like I mentioned with like the Sabbath school, using these techniques in family uh, Bible study, not only is that, can that be a powerful experience, but actually um, would be a, it would not only be a, powerful experience theologically, as in, yeah, you could actually discover interesting things about, you know, the Bible. It'd be a f- powerful experience as far as familiness is concerned. Familiness is kind of a word we didn't coin but have fully adopted. Um, in that you're doing it in a more intimate kind of uh, a Bible study, trying to, you know, 
reading a, a story and then entering into that story as a parent with children or, you know, among your siblings. I mean, it was powerful for me to be standing up here listening to her getting up to the throne room and thinking, that's me. You know, that's me too. So absolutely incorporate these, these ideas, these methods. Some of them will make more sense with a group and some uh, less, but all of them will uh, most definitely enhance a family worship experience, a family study experience. Oh, if there were more, if there were more families that studied the Bible together like this, that entered into Scripture like this, I, I feel like we would have a bond with God and a bond with each other that we simply uh, do not see on planet Earth today. All right, that is all for today. We're not nearly done with the questions, but we'll dive into those uh, first thing tomorrow morning uh, for those of you still interested in that. And let's pray as we dismiss. Father in heaven, what a marathon, what a long day, and yet how full we are of the blessings that we've seen and the, the glimpses that we've gotten even now of the, the power that you have um, in, uh, available for our disposal. We just, we ask that, uh, again, you would expand our mind, continue to expand our minds, the possibilities, and uh, help us to, to fully enter in to the great gifts that you long to give us through your word. Thank you so much for being with us today. Bless us the rest of our evening as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.